Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast for the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, I think this week will be the first time... We used to do Greatest Generation, our other hit Star Trek podcast, uh, two times a week. Yeah. We're doing this show two times a week, starting this week, I believe. God. How long of a time did we have where it wasn't like running around recording <laughs> with our hair on fire? Um, I don't think that that has ever been the case since we started making podcasts with each other. Yeah. It's not going to stop until we're out of town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did I get that right? Is that is this the week that Picard pops off? It's hard to tell because we're kind of recording out of order and stuff. Yeah, it is. So if, you, if you're watching both, we're covering both. And uh, that is largely thanks to the uh, support of the Friends of DeSoto, which enabled us to hire producer in Windy Pretty and in uh, guest editors who are going to be coming in and helping us during this time of blitz. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ben. I'm just kind of freaking out because we're doing this while looking at each other during. Yeah. It's also rare for Greatest Discovery to be recorded this way. I feel like Greatest Gen, yeah. we've done a lot more of this than Greatest Discovery. Yeah, I wonder if it'll make it any better. Maybe. I mean, not much could make it worse. <laughs> I'll tell you what's making this better. We kind of bang-banged lunch today. We did We did a big lunch today. <laughs> we did kind of a feats of strength level lunch. Why did we do this before recording? We should be going into recording lean and mean yeah. and hungry. <laughs> Everyone loves a hangry podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be sleepy. I'm going to be dopey. We did that suburban speedball, though, of like big heavy lunch and super strong cold brew coffee. <laughs> My body doesn't know what to do. Yeah. My body is very interested in finding a place to poop right now. Wow. Really? <laughs> well, uh, only an hour or so left to go. <laughs> We'll have to check in with you from time to time yeah. to uh, see about your progress. See about my situation. Um, yeah, we um, so we went to uh, the Sautel Strip in uh, West uh, LA. Yeah, and we got a fried chicken sandwich. We each got a fried chicken sandwich. What's what's the place called? We should shout them out. Oh, really? You want to? They do a nice job. Uh, Anzu is the place with a great fried chicken sandwich. Anzu. And then uh, we walked down the street and we each got a bowl of ramen. Yeah, we went to Killer Noodle after that. And uh, I went middle of the road on my spiciness. This is an, a ramen spot that gives you a scale on which to order how spicy you want your ramen and also how numb you want your mouth to be Yeah. after and I went with the chef recommended three out of seven on both. I think I could have gone five out of seven on both. I agree. But I think it's best, like, if you're a tourist or whatever, visiting that street. Yeah. You want to you wanna give grandma the recommended right. heat and numb level. I'm Yeah. I was doing the math on, like, I'm 
you know, I'm on the west side in the middle of the day. We all know what that means in L.A. traffic. That means while it only took me half an hour to get over here, it could take me up to an hour and 15 minutes to get home at, at this time. I need to I need to factor b-hole related matters into every decision I make. You do. I mean, now you're living like me. Yeah. <laughs> this is the pranical lifestyle. It is. Yeah. <laughs> now, now you know why I'm so weird. <laughs> hey, that guy's squirreliness is really starting to come into focus. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's nothing mental. That's yeah. just it. It's all physical. Yeah. It's all digestive. It really is. It's a, uh, I feel like I've uh, I've walked a mile in your shoes today, Adam, and I really appreciate it. Well, when you look down behind you and saw only one set of footprints, it's because... Because uh, I stole your shoes and yeah. left you behind. <laughs> I stopped off for coffee. <laughs> uh, we got a big episode of Star Trek Discovery to get into today. Do you want to uh, jump right into the old Eperunio? We've got a lot to cover. We do. In this the 10th episode of Star Trek Discovery's fourth season. It's called The Galactic Barrier. We've been following the storyline of President Trina and Saru kind of having feels for each other. And last episode, she invited him on a date. And Saru has made the classic uh, blunder of making the date a kind of a group thing at the beginning of this episode. He's uh, he's brought Trina to a dinner with all of his grimmest friends, all, all of the all of the kind of bummer focused people in his life. We've got uh, Doctor Kovich. We've got uh, you know Admiral Layflatbed. We, we've got Michael Burnham. We've got the president. I mean, it's flashy. I understand like he's trying to show off all of his high profile friends to her, but. My eye fell on Dr. Harai immediately as the only one comfortable enough at this meeting to eat. <laughs> and he's eating shit. They're all eating shit at this meeting. Oh yeah, they are. It's pretty good for shit. Yeah. This is a shit eating meeting. And I intend to keep it that way. Kovic really has that energy of a dance chaperone too, which is fun when you consider all that's going on between Trina and Saru yeah. like to have him there kind of mediating, making sure there's uh, sunlight between them. Yeah, shines the, the flashlight between them. Yeah. Has to make sure it hits the floor on the other side. This guy, Dr. Harai, is someone we haven't met before, right? Yeah, he, uh, he, he kind of awkwardly enters the conversation with a uh, laugh at a joke that only he and Kovich get. They're talking about the 10C... And the idea of bringing universal translators to try to talk to the people that are dredging the galaxy. And there's a, the issue of confirmation bias comes up. So if the universal translators work, it will probably be a miracle because we have no reason to believe that the 10C communicate the way humanoid intelligences do. I like this guy immediately because he so badly wanted to explain the joke to everyone. <laughs> yeah, he kind of had a bad bit moment there. Yeah. I guess Kovic had the bad bit moment. All I do is this, this, this. The challenge is communicating with a race that may not allow the universal translators to work, but also communicate with them that 
blowing up their harvester wasn't an act of war. <laughs> it was merely a mistake or something. Like, has anyone said what they plan on telling them? I don't I don't think that's been articulated yet. Yeah, I think that they're going to they're going to have to figure out if they can be told anything. Right. First. Trina's like, "Why even try to talk if we don't know how?" Which I think is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's going to be great in a relationship with Saru. <laughs> this is uh, not a great way of resolving conflict, Trina. Their arguments are going to be very quiet. <laughs> um, looking forward to that. The meeting ends with sort of the assumption that Kovic is going to be a part of this mission. And then the jocularity of the mood is sucked out of the room completely when Kovic is like, yeah, I'd love to fucking slum it with you guys on this <laughs> no stakes mission. But I do things day to day that would turn your fucking stomach. Like, <laughs> You think the DMA is the biggest problem right now? It isn't even close. I know. I know. Remember that one time I showed you your and how horrified you were at his fate? Like that is three times a day for me. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. no one follows up with any questions they're like yeah. okay cool doctor you should go to work then <laughs> <laughs> why did you take all this time yeah. eating dinner with us why are you even here <laughs> so we cut from this to a very small mclaughlin group issue one where burnham and stamets are kind of briefing the admiral and the president over you know the state of things the disco is heading out really soon, two hours from now. And um, they have some information about DMA 2.0, which is that it is the same DMA, but it's working way faster. What does this thing want? DMA! It's a much more powerful one. So the timeline has gotten really compressed. We're not talking about it moving in several days. We're talking about it moving in 12 hours. Book and Tarka are still AWOL and like they need to get the team together and they need to get the ship out there fast given this new timeline. Yeah. There's a, the suggestion that there's a new delegate from Navarre that's going to replace Trina. Where did your head go when you heard this? It's interesting. Like there's a moment where everyone looks around like, oh, this means the person whose name we aren't saying might be involved. Right. Where did my head go? Because my head went to Gabrielle Burnham just because she's like the other person from Navarre that we know. And I was like, that's a great call. Are we really going to have her be the representative from Navarre? I'm fucking shocked. <laughs> Good job by this show not doing that. I, like, because love this, is, this is what this show does. It, it's, it is exactly what this show does. It was like, I, I almost wondered if it was a disco head faint to like throw me off because I was like, Okay, like I understand that this is Discovery and we're going to have a, a Gabrielle Burnham pretext in this episode, yeah. but... As, I mean, we're getting near the season finale, so right. yeah, we got to bring her back. <laughs> I was absolutely stupefied that they didn't wind up doing that. I didn't quite understand why it couldn't be Trina the whole time. I mean, it's yeah. it said a little bit later why it couldn't be, but like, hey, while we're on the subject of replacing ambassadors... Shouldn't we get a new delegate from Quajon? <laughs> yeah. Is Are it there, too soon to replace Book? How many people from Quajon were off world when the DMA hit? <laughs> I was thinking the opposite. Like, you should see the new guy. He's just covered in bird guts <laughs> and, uh, and, and kid entrails. He's dead. He's very dead, but... It's just Bernie! You know how they say being hit with bird poop is good luck? 
Well, we're just hoping this guy is extremely good luck, <laughs> given what he's covered in. But the president of the Federation is coming. Relic right. uh, is like, well... For the fourth time this season, she's coming along where she's yeah. sort of unwelcome. She's like, uh, listen... I'm, uh, I, I don't normally do this. I, I'm retired. I'm technically retired from diplomacy, but uh, just this one last time, I'm going to ride with you guys. This show has been generous with how much information it gives us as far as time it takes to get somewhere, time it takes to do something, time they need right. to accomplish their mission. And this is a moment where I wish they were a little less generous with that because it's unintentionally a laugh line for me when I know they've got 12 hours to complete a mission, but Burnham says she wants two hours to allow the crew to say their goodbyes. <laughs> you think the crews at Wolf 359 had some time to like write their letters home and like pack up their shit? Yeah. The There's an order of operations problem because we get the explanation for part of this in the next scene, which is that they need to completely modify how their their shields work to go where they're going. But we don't know that yet. So it's like, uh. (laughs) It's hard to feel a sense of urgency when right on the heels of this timeline, they're like, all right, cool. Well, we'll we'll get ready to go (laughs) in these next few hours. I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a schwitz, shower off. Get a bite to eat, and then we'll go. <laughs> when Relic tells Admiral, a little too willing to have that first talk about the birds and the bees with his kids, <laughs> that she's transferring all of her presidential power to the VP as if she's like getting a colonoscopy. Like, <laughs> I do this all the time when I go onto the disco. Like, right, right. I just tell my executive assistant that I'm getting a colonoscopy. <laughs> all of that administrative work is done behind the scenes, and then I'm ready to go. <laughs> but that seems to inject the moment with a little more, I don't know if I'm ever coming home kind of seriousness. Yeah, right. She's saying, like, you're going to really need to throw your support behind the, the VP because. He doesn't appeal to the base the same way I do. Like yeah. he seems like a little bit more of a, you know, inside the beltway kind of guy. Whereas I'm like this maverick, like billionaire that came in and <laughs> said, oh, very I alone con- can fix this. Right. <laughs> Listen, all, all I'm saying is that in a crisis situation, it wouldn't shock me if my supporters showed up with a noose set up for him. Sure. And they would be intending to really use it. And that's, <laughs> Scary. So I want the military to line up behind this guy while I'm away. The show does this with Relic, though. They're like, <laughs> you know very little about her and what you do know you don't like. Until a moment like this where she's like, you know, here is my LinkedIn work history, which actually makes this decision make complete sense <laughs> to the both of us that I would go out here on this mission. Right. Yeah. It's a thing. Yes, it is. We cut to Book's ship, Book's unnamed ship, where he is, he's getting ready to kick Tarka off his ship. And Tarka is starting to spin what happened with the DMA as, hey, this is, this is actually a good natural experiment. Now we know that they can make as many DMAs as they want and that they are almost infinitely powerful relative to us. This is knowledge that we need to have. 
I definitely had a feeling when someone else's fuck up was made into a learning experience for someone else. <laughs> like, do not spin things that way with me. Yeah. Tarka's indignance here was was like that exactly. But he is making the case for, like, even if you want to kick me off the ship book, you actually need me. Because if you're going to go to where the 10C are, if you're going to jump to that part of the galaxy, you're going to need to go through the galactic barrier. And the only way to do that is with programmable antimatter. Right. Which, like, if you think pouring (laughs) isolinium into a pepper mill is dangerous, (laughs) wait till you see programmable antimatter. (laughs) <laughs> i'm trying to think of another kitchen device that's difficult to fill <laughs> you just try emptying the used oil reservoir <laughs> of the programmable antimatter <laughs> oh man you try pouring that stuff off into an empty gallon jug of milk yeah it's messy as hell Fortunately, Tarka knows where some programmable antimatter can be got. Book's like, great. Uh, Where's the next karma barge we're going to? (laughs) The next scene is with uh, Saru and Bryce. We kind of called this shot, right? We did. That Bryce was getting written off the show. And yet Bryce's goodbye does not come with a music or montage package. It doesn't seem to have been motivated by anything. It What it does come with is the fuck you of a Saru's hand on your shoulder. Yeah. He's like, get that off me. Bryce is going to be working with Kovic, which I was like doing the stressful, non-specific shit that Kovic does. Yeah. I don't think you want this, Bryce. <laughs> yeah. Even Tilly like blows in a call to Bryce and she's like, look, I've like kind of heard what yeah. he's doing over there. And I'm hearing like weird sounds from his office. Yeah, yeah. My wife's legal admin at her job just like jumped to a different shop at the same place. And like it's the it's like everybody knows it's like the worst part of of the office to be working because they work crazy hours. They're like mm-hmm. work seven days a week. There's no time off. And she's like, why did she do this? <laughs> I kind of feel like that's what Bryce just did. The differences between the Tilly goodbye and the Bryce goodbye are so vast yeah, that I can't help but have weird feelings about it. Like, did the actor who plays Bryce fuck up somehow? Did he? Is he somehow undeserving of the send off that Tilly got? Yeah. Or did he just like not want to keep doing the thankless job of being a bridge crew member on Star Trek Discovery yeah. anymore and like asked to be written off? I'll miss you guys, though. The Tilly goodbye makes the Bryce goodbye look like the Vulcan hello, man. (laughs) Isn't it nice doing this in person when you can see me laugh when you can't hear it? (laughs) It makes a difference. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I guess bye, Bryce. Yeah. I would say we hardly knew him, but we didn't know him at all. Yeah, we we knew nothing about Bryce. Less than hardly is how much we knew Bryce. Does Reese feel bad about this? Or was like Reese pissed enough at him based on the last episode that Reese is like, good riddance? I mean, that's the bro hug I wanted to see on his way out. Is this the first time Bryce and Saru have even had a conversation? It would seem that way. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Well, anyways. Bryce is like, hey, who's that chick who's uh, scoping you out? (laughs) With the shoulder pads. Yeah. Is, uh, are things awkward between you or nah? 
<laughs> yeah, it's Trina across the hall. And Saru does that war movie thing we've seen a bunch of times, which is like, when the fighting stops, you got to wait for me. Yeah, yeah. You'll be here as a reason for me to live, right? I'm going to take a sort of semi-crumpled up picture of you with me and put it on the console of the ship so that I can think about you when I'm gone. There's kind of a rich history of dudes going out to war who knock up the ladies they like before leaving. I'm wondering if maybe that's a, a tradition you'd be interested in. I'm just going to check my watch here. Yeah, we've still got an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, so if you're in, we could make that happen. Yeah, pre-war blast is a uh, <laughs> tradition best served hot. <laughs> if only we could enjoy it. The making the first date a group situation thing has really backfired because it is very, very awkward between them. Yeah, this is... She kind of seems like she's not into him anymore, right? Because, like, he's saying, like, I, you know, our friendship means a ton to me and maybe we could risk ruining the friendship to see if it could be more than a friendship. And she's just kind of standing there silently taking this in until somebody comes and, like, goes, like, Madam President, you're needed somewhere else. Not talking to this weirdo. It's a real proposal on the Jumbotron kind of thing. Or like <laughs> like the fucked up kiss cam that doesn't work. Yeah. Because it's That's very, my sister. Because it's very public, right? Like it's in the corridor. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want to do this here now in front of everyone. Yeah. So that that goes bad. That goes really bad for Saru. Poor Saru. Yeah. Do you think he's too grossed out by his hands to jacket sometimes? <laughs> he would normally go back to his room and sit among the plants and punch <laughs> one out to make himself feel better. Yeah. I mean, ordinarily, he'd go back and, and do the miracle grow thing. <laughs> not this time. No, not today. Uh, Adir is back on the show. They have not been written off. Um, no. This I actually really like this scene where Adira comes back and Michael Burnham's just like, hey, welcome back, Adira. And Stamets gets like super weird. And everybody is like, why is Stamets being so weird? And I kind of got the feeling that like Adira is on our side. They want prickly standoffish Stamets back. I mean, I agree with Adira. Yeah. If that's the case. I mean, what the hell has been wrong with Stamets is a question we've had for the last three seasons. <laughs> that's That's what season five should be about is like, let's unpack what's going on with this guy the unintentional consequence of this moment is that if you're michael burnham are you made more confident as a captain if your science officer needs to talk up adira the way that stamets is doing <laughs> right. when you really need to depend on adira and stamets and everyone else for your survival like right. i don't want to be sold on adira's skill here i want to be fucking sure i think that that's the thing that's that Adira and Michael Burnham are reacting to though is like that they are sure. Oh, okay. They're, they're yeah. like, why? <laughs> I just like, said, I just explained the joke then, didn't I? Well, no, because I think, yeah, like it's like this kind of shit sells itself. Why are you selling it right now? Yeah. So, well, it's very interesting that there is this much salesmanship and then we don't see Adira at all for the rest, for the rest of, the of the episode, especially during the emergency style moments where yeah. Adira could be helping. Yeah, it does really feel like um, probably Gray is being written off the show, though. Definitely. I can't remember. Did Gray get a montage and musical 
score. I just feel like that's the baseline. Now. I don't even think Saru put his dog dick fingers on his shoulder. And now I know what I've been missing. I mean, it would gross me out, but I would resent not having that kind of send off. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Burnham has to kind of establish some ground rules for Rills now that mm-hmm. they're going on another mission together. And she's like, listen. You're obviously, you have the pull to get on the ship whenever the fuck you want. There's nothing I can say or do to prevent that. I would really appreciate it if you did not undermine me in front of my crew and make them feel crazy and unsafe (laughs) when we are in the middle of emergency situations. In Rillick's defense, she's like, I don't even know your crew and... I don't know if I care. <laughs> what? 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 What's happening? What? What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this? So uh, they're going to spore jump to the edge of the galaxy, which is where the mycelial network peters out. And then they have to warp to the galactic barrier from there. So they're going to be four light years shy of the barrier where they where they spore jump to. Yeah. Uh, so they've already burned two hours of this pre-trip time unpacking and their goodbyes. So like, what's another speech really? Like, what's the difference? <laughs> Let's go into the point. speech. <laughs> yeah. So we get a big, big Michael Burnham captain speech. Let's get to it. Hi, captain. It's uh, contractually assured that she gets one per episode. Yeah. Where's my two pages? <laughs> I want my two pages. <laughs> and uh, and we jump. Yeah. The way we jump. And that's our cold open. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? I uh, I was shocked that we got a theme song here. By the time we got the theme song, I forgot the theme song was part of the show. I think there should be not a rule, but like after a show crosses the 10 minute threshold of cold opens yeah just float in some credits yeah don't stop the show <laughs> don't stop or we'll die yeah so stamets did not get them quite as close as he had promised he gets them nine light years away we do get a shot of him coming out of the spore box though yeah finally which was was nice i kind of liked that angle the the kind of cowboy shot of him yeah coming toward the camera explaining like taking a couple of wet wipes to his forearms yeah we've never spore jumped to this part of space so this was as as well as i could do given how what an unknown we're we're at we're we're really seeking out new worlds and civilizations now people oh he doesn't have the forearm thing anymore he's got fingers and goo yeah he was just he was just wiping his hands with like a dish rag you know what i would do if i were him <laughs> is you know how in some gas station restrooms they've got like the cloth Oh, the yeah. cloth rolly thing. I love that. The thing. cloth dispenser. Yeah. They should put that in the spore box so that you're not using up a bunch of uh, paper products. You're just pulling down, wiping on the dry spot if you're lucky enough to find one in there. Yeah. yeah. No more single use paper products for spore jumping. All right. Hey, easier or harder to find the dry part of the towel dispenser at uh-huh. a gas station uh-huh. or a cool spot in the bed? <laughs> <laughs> oh man I both think, very difficult in my experience yeah both both a challenge for sure yeah. um yeah or like how to get the soap powder out when it's a soap powder dispenser oh yeah that's also hard to find yeah 
that. I feel like soap powder dispenser often goes hand in hand with rolly towel, non-paper towel situation. Man, rolly towel, I do really like. I like it too. You know what? People like edgy home remodelers are like, yeah, I put a fucking urinal in my house. That's how much I rule. <laughs> but where are the where are the home remodelers who are like rolly towel dispenser? This, in if, the kitchen. In the kitchen. If I went over to someone's house and they had rolly towel dispenser in the in the powder room, yeah, I'd be I would be flipping. It'd be all I could talk about. It would be great. Imagine your paper towel budget just crashing after that. Oh my god, it pays for itself in like six months. And it's fun. We didn't even mention that part. Yeah, you'll be whistling symphony doodah out of your assholes. Do you think that it it's a continuous loop or is there like a a roll with new towel and a take up roll. And then they take the take up roll and throw it in the, in the washing machine. Here's the thing. I've never encountered one of those where it was out. Yeah. Where it reached the end. So I think it's one continuous loop. Wow. I think this is all they have at the Apple headquarters. (laughs) It's infinite. You could say. Yeah. Wow. Are they always pink for you? I feel like they're always pink. They're either, they're either pink or baby blue. I think. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's troubling. You know, you don't want to just stop forcing unlimited towel loops into these (laughs) fucking false binaries. (laughs) Towels should be on a spectrum. You know, they blew up a gas station with their uh, rolly towel reveal (laughs) party. And you thought that was going to stop everything. (laughs) (laughs) the most inscrutable episode title we'll ever have is rolly towel reveal party (laughs) which is also a linguistic exercise i want to do before shows Mm -hmm. uh red leather yellow leather rolly Rolly towel towel reveal reveal party party. (laughs) the tip of the tongue the teeth and the lips what do you think of when you think of male grooming Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, Nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. 
and they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab and go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? Those Klingons? The delegate from Navarre. You you think of uh, the people of Navarre as a punctual lot. You do. But the de- delegate from Navarre was late, so Trina is on board the ship, and Saru has a second awkward Holloway bump into with her while he's like walking around with Culber, and he's like, "Cool. Well, maybe we can do our date like in flight." <laughs> I mean, this is another great Culber scene because he makes the awkward feel natural. Yeah. And this is all you want if you're if you're a friend to someone who's going through a thing like this or anything, really. Any yeah. difficult time, making the difficult time feel normal is like a very generous thing for a friend to do for another friend. Wilson Cruz is so magnetic, so fucking charismatic. Like, I got, like, actual goosebumps when I got to shake his hand at that Star Trek Picard premiere party. I was so drawn to him. And the idea that somebody that has it like that could be nervous on a getting to know someone that they're interested in is, in fact, incredibly reassuring. Totally. And yeah. uh, I thought it was really cool the way he talked Saru through the the nerves of the early part of a relationship. When you are of Navarre, mm-hmm. do you think it's just understood if you are ever late for anything that it's Ponfar? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just unspoken. Like any deviation from a social or professional norm is like understood to be like, well, Rick didn't show up. And I think we all know why. (laughs) 
I still think it was supposed to be Gabrielle Burnham, but maybe her pilot got Ponfar and he's like, hey, sorry, I got to turn this around. And uh, I wonder how close to the truth you are with that production wise. Like, I wonder if it was Sonia Sohn and for whatever reason, she oh, couldn't she couldn't or wouldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't make it to Toronto or there was like a. Yeah. Not easy like to make it in and out long. of Toronto at this moment in time during this production. Totally. Totally. Uh, well, anyways. We cut down to the planet that Book and Tarka are going to find the programmable antimatter on. And uh, Book uh, begins to suspect he's being led into a trap because he sees what the architecture looks like here. Yeah. And it's familiar in a bad way. Very brutalist, mm-hmm. very chain-like, <laughs> very green. He, uh, he draws on Tarka. He pulls that strap out and is uh, ready, to, <laughs> ready to blow Tarka's head off. <laughs> I like how Tarka's defense is, do you have time for a story <laughs> book? <laughs> do you have time for a string of flashbacks that will run for most of the rest of the episode? Yeah. Buckle up. <laughs> Prepare yourself for me with hair and beard that's a little darker than you're used to seeing. <laughs> so we go back to Tarka meeting his special friend who he's been so motivated to go be with. And this is a Tarka like attempting to escape this prison situation and then being roomed up with this alien scientist by the Emerald Chain. And it's got kind of first day of school energy a little bit between Tarka and this guy. They don't immediately hit it off. This guy definitely had the alien from Mac and me only grown up (laughs) vibe to me. I wondered if he was like a variation on the same species as Haas Mazzaro because he's got very similar coloring and kind of pointy loaf on the sides. Yeah. Um, I mean, he no evidence of whether or not he has a karma barge. No. But uh, it didn't seem like a total stretch that they might be from the he same point. He didn't planet. even mention a karma barge. Yeah. Like, and that would have been neat if that was where he wanted to escape. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like paradise, Ben. Yeah. The karma barge. It's it's the it's, most it's, peaceful it's, yeah. thing that you can experience. Yeah. I mean, from the outside, it doesn't look that way. It looks like it's in a giant, scary monster whale. Right. But uh, on right. the inside, peace. Beautiful, perfect, flawless. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Oros. Mazzaro. (laughs) Hey, Ben, uh, great scene here because we have a new winner of the most uncomfortable Star Trek pillow contest. (laughs) Come on down and accept your award, weird three rectangles with a rectangular divot in the middle that looks like uh, chiropractor furniture. This is a first win of weird rectangular pillow uh, beating out triangle pillow from Deep Space Nine and cube pillow from Star Trek The Next Generation. You even see a second most uncomfortable Star Trek pillow winner in a, in a subsequent scene where Oros <laughs> and Tarka are both laying on them. Yeah. And their conversation is not about how uncomfortable their prison pillow is. Yeah. You would think that that would be kind of all you could talk about in a context like that. It's funny, though, like the way the show kind of winks at modern times because Tark is like, boy, my pillow fucking sucks, right? (laughs) And Oros is like, you got that right. My pillow is the worst. (laughs) It's fucking trash. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can't believe the marketing worked on the <laughs> like only the emerald chain would fall for this kind yeah. of only bullshit. the emerald chain would buy these in bulk to support some sort of terrible person. <laughs> That's why I invented my pillow. Anyway, Tarka and Oros have this sort of like thaw happening. Yeah. Like they start off with that ice wall up. But little by little, that wall thaws out. And so we cut back from the flashback and Book has still got the gun pointed at Tarka, but he's like, okay, trauma bonding is something I can really understand. So are you trying to tell me (laughs) that you two forged a bond (laughs) out of a DeLorean? (laughs) Why not do it with some style? So he agrees to continue going with Tarka. And we cut back to the disco, which is finally pulling up to the title of the episode, The Galactic Barrier. Great job with this effect. It looks awesome. Yeah. It looked a little small, I I will say. Yeah, it kind of looked like you could go up and over. Right. I mean, you know what? If they didn't burn those two hours back at base, they would have had the two hours to go up and over. There's plenty of time to go around. Come on. Yeah. You don't need to refit the shields with the fucking antimatter, programmable antimatter. You can just go around it. Sure don't. We get a nice reminder here that uh, there are other characters on the bridge. (laughs) Taking this one in. Yeah. It's a very dangerous, bubbly place. And it doesn't seem like their shields are going to cut it until they start talking about these bubs. Yo, bubs. And the bubs are parts of normal space. So if they go into one of the bubbles that's flowing through the barrier, they won't be straining their shields as much, right? This was pretty difficult to understand. In my mind, there needed to be a sort of intermediate area for them to to cross over. Like, in order for them to cross over from the edge of their galaxy outside of it, they needed to, like, jump into a lava lamp bubble to transit, and then that would help their ability to... To survive the transition? Yeah, that, I think that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. But I don't understand how, like, but then how, the, like how does the bubble survive it? Yeah. And Why aren't there bubbles on the other side? And there's red bubbles and black bubbles, and the red ones are safer than the black ones. Right. And then when you're inside one, you switch to an ultraviolet lens. Mm-hmm. And why are the red bubbles just allowed to print copyrighted material? <laughs> You know, and just get away with it. Yeah. That seems weird. This is like any major project, right, Ben? It's always more difficult and more dangerous than you expected in pre-production. And that's what happens at every step of this mission, right? They're always further away than they thought. Right. Or they don't have enough shields. Like, they think they have enough shields to transit, but they don't. So they need to come up with this plan on the fly. When they go for their first bubble, they head in and the... Shields are like lowering in strength precipitously. Yeah. Like OO is calling this out and it's like, oh man, like the, <laughs> this is no bueno. Also, the all the color desaturates and Saru is like, you won't be able to see normal range of colors. I really wanted to hear from Linus on this because we know that Linus has an amazing spectrum of color that he can see. That is a great call. And great Linus call. is on the bridge for this. He should know. He should have said something. It would have been great if as soon as the bridge goes ultraviolet, you just see all the cum on the walls. 
a dot comes out and is like frantically chiseling it away. Like we cut around to different areas of the ship and people just growing more and more horrified at the filth <laughs> they've been working in that they had no idea was under their noses. Yeah, it's, it's like the most devastating episode of that MTV room invasion show. The last shot is oh. is a dot completely covered. <laughs> so they make it into the bubble. They're briefly safe. And really comes up on the bridge and she's like, hey, I have an urg- emergency action message. Uh, eyes only. You and me, Burnham. Let's go. And Is so- this the first instance of a Code 47 on this show? Oh. I yeah. thought they should have name dropped the Code 47. Gotta name drop a Code 47. Right? You got an opportunity. Verify. It is Code 47, sir. The idea of the message is introduced and then we cut back to Book and Tarka. Right. Who see a cloaked ship take off. And Book is like, what is your deal with this place? <laughs> what is that cloaked ship doing here? And Tark is like, I don't know. But I uh, I can tell you one thing. I'm kind of a regular here. Yeah. And Book is like, what does that mean? <laughs> and Tark is like, flashback. <laughs> and he's like, you can't just say flashback to me. <laughs> he's like, too late. I already said it. We're in it. We're in the flashback now. Yeah. So uh, Oros and Tarka are hearing an alarm in the flashback, and Oro does not take this moment very well. This is a this is a scene of great trauma visited upon Oros, and in this scene, Tarka soothes him. Yeah, and being from Risa, he knows exactly how to soothe. Yeah, this is the first time we've seen Tarka not be a dick about something. Right, and uh, it's a very tender moment. It's it's really nice, yeah. and you can see why they. They kind of connected in this mm-hmm. moment, I think. Yeah, I mean, because up until then, Oros wasn't great about returning affection or accepting yeah. affection or help. But he reveals himself to be good at reciprocating because he has decided to share with Charka his plan to get out. Yeah, this this is the establishment of trust between them. And the plan is that... Oros has built a transporter, has been working on this for years, uh, that can get him to a dimension that his species calls Kylis. And this is like the the perfect peaceful dimension that uh, Tarka has made mention of before. There's a bunch of clouds, kind of an old bearded white man <laughs> waiting for you, your friends and family. <laughs> Are there when you arrive and Tark is like, oh, yeah, I could go there right now by holding this phaser to my temple. <laughs> what do you you didn't make an interdimensional transporter or else you, you made a, a suicide machine. <laughs> and he's like, the math works. But uh. <laughs> look, everyone I've put into this thing hasn't come back. So I think it works. Yeah, there's a you don't need as much power as you think you do. though. <laughs> It's just a giant boulder. <laughs> you just drop it right here. Yeah. We just use the anti-programmable matter to move the boulder back up to the top of the cliff. That's, <laughs> That's all. Then it's ready to go again. That's all we brought this in for. We could have done it yeah. with a lever, but we chose a kind of a Star Trek-y kind of solution to right. the problem. What's cool about this boulder is that it's two separate parts are are like there's a gap in between them and you can see right through the middle. It's like magic. <laughs> they should be touching, but they're not. The emergency action message that Burnham and Rillick have gone to see is from 
the Admiral, and he's explaining that the DMA is now going for Earth and Navarre. It has finished up in the part of space it was in and is now in a sector that is highly populated. And this is a huge escalation, right? It is. It's a huge escalation and a huge reduction in the amount of time they have to complete this mission, especially when you build in the idea of how many speeches need to be made. Right. Um, how many letters, like revisions of letters need to be sent home. <laughs> like this crew shoved off on this mission thinking that it was going to go a certain way and it clearly hasn't. Right. And uh, they're gonna They got to need... fill up a bois with these letters, right? They're going to need to take time writing the letters and send a bois. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Do you need to put the bois back into one of those lava lamp globules and then shoot it back through to the other side of the... That's the, the only way I could see it working. Yeah. So they have a bit of a conflict here because Rillick does not want to reveal this highly classified information to anyone else on the ship. But Michael Burnham really feels like her crew deserves to know this. And they don't really have a time have time to come to a resolution on their disagreement because yeah. they get called back up to the bridge. I really liked Zaniko Martin-Green's performance in this moment of just being like, I want to solve this problem, but we just don't have time. Right. Uh, so they go back out on the bridge, and the bad news is that their bubble has hit a bubble traffic jam. They, uh, Ben? Yeah. What is going on with Detmer's dialogue? <laughs> a fucking traffic jam? <laughs> Do they want Emily Coots to quit the show? <laughs> Is this why Bryce left? <laughs> he saw what they were starting to do to, to Detmer. The only way that you could support this character's interest in saying something like this is if she had like old timey idiom interests the way Tom Paris liked old diesel powered trucks or whatever. <laughs> Am I making any sense here? But nothing up until now suggests it besides her repeated use of these sorts of idioms. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. Um, I don't get it, but like for multiple episodes in a row now, Detmer is saying something like this, and I'm like, no! <laughs> no! It'll be bumpy. So this is a, a traffic jam we don't have time for. We you know, we have no idea how long it's going to take to clear. we got to start to look at other options. It's not like L.A. where they just forgive you for the lateness. Right. Understanding that the traffic is an issue. It is what it is. Yeah. It's a hard place to be. Stamets proposes skipping over to a different cell and using that cell to coast the rest of the way. But the problem with this idea is that they don't, if they were to leave the cell, the ship would be subject to the damage that they were under before they hopped into this one. Right. And they don't know if they have the shield power to make it over to a different cell. Right. So it's a, it's a big risk, but they're going to have to take it. Yeah. Relic is just hating this. Yeah, she's starting to kind of break down on the uh, agreement between her and Burnham over whether they're going to not undermine each other in front of everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> she really wants to undermine so bad. Oh, she's so tempted. It's right there. <laughs> Ooh, it's like a marshmallow on a plate in front of a toddler. Yeah. So back on this planet, Book and Tarka walk into the ruins of the cell slash lab that Oros and he... Spent so much time in. I thought this was kind of a weird moment because Dark is like, yeah, the programmable antimatter's in that 
in that uh, in the locker floor over safe there. under the sand. No, he he initially says it's like over there in that locker, and Book goes and looks, and he's like, "It's not here, mate." And it was like, did you just mislead him so that you could have more flashback? Yeah, I think that's why. <laughs> Pretty much, like. Yeah, I'm just going to take a little bit more time flashing back. I think when you're breaking the episode, you see on the cards that you need to put a card in between these two sections <laughs> and you need to come up with something. Yeah, you got to have something. So we cut back to the flashback and now he and Oros are like working together on the math to get to Kylie's. And uh, they also seem to have gotten very physically close in a way that I wasn't quite sure whether the episode was implying that they were more than just friends or not. Because yeah, I don't know. Lying together the way they do, like that's more physically intimate than you and I would ever get, I think, naturally. But, you know, that's... I mean, I'm hurt by that, but okay. Partly informed by the fact that I don't really like you that much and partly sure. informed by the culture that we grew up in. And if we were from a different culture, that might be a different story. Yeah. If you were a Mac, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. If you were cool, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not embarrassed. Love you. I love you. The flashback shows us the first run of their invention and... When they start hitting buttons and the and the transporter beam starts to activate, you think for a moment it's gonna work. There's so much hope. Yeah. There's they hold hands in the transport, and I I immediately thought that was a bad idea because as soon as the malfunction happens, I'm thinking, oh shit, they just created Tarko. <laughs> Do not turn around, Tarko. Yeah, yeah. It's a the fly situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or a Tuvix situation. Yeah. The back of the head on a Tarko. Gross as hell. Would maybe give Tuvix a run for its money. Yeah. Yeah, but the idea seems to be that by turning this machine on, they have set off all sorts of alarms at the prison they're in. Yeah, and maybe you like if it was just one of them, the power would have been enough, but because they tried to do it with two, it didn't work. I, I was kind of ready for it to be like a betrayal or something like that, where like... Or so it's like, you know what? This would have had enough power if it was just me. Look at how tiny I am compared to you. <laughs> You're a fucking oaf. <laughs> Get out of here. Get off the pad. I'm out. <laughs> so the motorcycle bad guys come in very angry. Yeah. And they get in a Star Trek fight. Tarka winds up killing one of them and then like using the gun to like phaser the neck bomb off of the back of his neck and then off of the back of Oros's neck. But Oros is all like fucked up and bloody on the floor. Yeah. Did you think that Tarka fucked up the neck shot and that's why he was in such bad shape? <laughs> because that's a no look move that Tarka does to himself. Yeah. And he does it real quick too. I think he's been practicing. I mean, this is the equivalent of of like cutting your own bangs, but like if you had bangs on the back of your head. Wow. Like, like mullet bangs? Yeah. It's a masterpiece. Oros is really fucked up, either from his neck thing getting shot off or by what the, the biker gang guys d did uh, just a moment before. And then Oros tells Tarka to leave him, that he's too hurt. Yeah. Leave me here and escape the prison. And 
Tarka, I guess, like hides out in some Star Trek caves and then eventually kind of notices that Oros probably left because there was a huge power surge and has just had to go off the assumption that Oros made it to Kylis. And yet, are we to believe that Tarka is acting irrationally because there is no fucking way Oros survived this <laughs> moment? Because he looks too injured to move. Right. And there's more and more of these biker gang guys that are going to descend upon them before Tarka leaves. Why on earth would Tarka think that Oros not only survived, but survived to the extent that he made the machine beam him away into their version of heaven? And is waiting for him also. Yeah. Like... That's some dickful thinking, Tarka. I just wonder if the show wants us to believe him or wants us to feel sorry for him because that's what he believes. I kind of fall into that second camp. Like, whether or not it's true, that he believes it is sad either way. Right. And when it cuts back to the present and he's like, so that's the person you're dealing with, Book. You know, it really made me mad that Book wasn't like, so because you want to go be friends with one guy, you put fucking Navarre and Earth in jeopardy? Like you you, you are willing to risk the health and safety of billions for this one thing? What it's, the fuck? It's so nuts. I guess there's great significance in the idea of Tarka finding the hobo sign that Oros leaves behind. Like right. this was the symbol that means homeowner might be armed and also <laughs> i may have made it to our version of heaven <laughs> but but the idea that they're that this like helps i didn't ever think of oros as bowen but i guess he yeah, is right <laughs> but you're so right for book to to not challenge this at all and to just be like all right <laughs> we're the same now <laughs> oh like it kind of flies in the face of the character development they've been doing with book this season right like his I think whole, they're it, unwinding his character development in a really destructive way right because his raison d'etre up till now has yeah. been don't let what happened to Quajon happen to anyone else and now he's like well oof, who fucking cares Tarka is just a man standing in front of another man <laughs> asking him to trust him with the power source for an interdimensional transporter <laughs> That he's always wanted to make. And that's sort of like how it's presented at the end. He's like, look, man, this is how we both win. <laughs> and Book is like, you had me at hobo. <laughs> <laughs> you really tin manned hobo. Tin man. <laughs> <laughs> the discovery this has- show's better after a heavy meal and a cold brew coffee, right? <laughs> I think so. The Discovery has 4% shield when they make it into the bubble. They had six seconds to spare. <laughs> I love the, I love the, like, the ship is about to fly apart. Let's cut around the bridge and find out what vacations everyone has planned for after this. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, strangely Earth-centric. Strangely like West Coast-centric. Yeah, I, I was really surprised by that. Yeah, everybody's doing stuff West Coast, North America, pretty much. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a total like Christopher McCandless centric <laughs> series of fantasies sure. that everyone's got. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they they have a moment to catch their breath, and uh, we cut down to engineering where Adira and Stamets are talking, and Adira is like, 
hey, uh, so you really put me on blast in front of the captain and sort of undermined my uh, strength as a as a member of this crew to her. So please stop being such a fucking weirdo. And Stamets is like, if you think that's bad, how about <laughs> if I remind you of your long lost love after a near death experience? <laughs> and Adira's like, don't actually miss Gray that much. Yeah. Which is good. I like but also, Stamets, stop bringing Gray up yeah. if it's clearly a painful situation. Yeah, and Stamets is like, well, this is like, this I'm is overcorrecting like, for some weird shit my dad did, so you're just going to have to deal with it. I was just going to say that. like, when a, when a parent gets overly invested into a fleeting high school relationship that is now over, you're like, yeah. stop asking me about her. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> She's your, never coming over. Your weirdness has ha- contributed more than you know yeah. into this not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Come on, man. It's interesting how much of a mirror image of Culber Stamets is in this way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're spending too much time apart, Culber and Stamets. Yeah. And and when they're together, it's just when Culber is having a clean up the the room freak out. You yeah, know? I know. Do you think they're doing all right? Culber has not like seemed as as been out of shape the last two episodes. So hopefully that translates to their relationship also. But we haven't seen it. We just don't know. I kind of want to see uh, Culber play in the field. Like I love the Culber Stamets relationship, but I. It doesn't seem like either of them are very happy with each other. Yeah. Let's uh, let's see some positive stuff about their relationship. I want to see them brushing their teeth more often. Bring back the before bed routine. Yeah. That would feel great. Just every episode, like take one speech out and put one toothbrushing scene in. I would love that. That'd be nice. That's, a, that's a, I think, a solid punch up for any Discovery script. It would make Star Trek Discovery a little less stressful in general. <laughs> During the act of watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd know that their tooth hygiene was in good shape, you know? Unspeakably beautiful. Yeah. And that would be very reassuring. The whole cover-up of the knowledge about the DMA having moved into the Alpha Quadrant is creating some friction between Burnham and Rillick. Yeah. They, They didn't get time to resolve this before, so they have to have another conversation about it. And I thought that this was a scene that was very much to Rillick's credit because Michael Burnham is basically like, hey, like we are feeling weird and out of control. And this like secret knowledge that only you and I know is tempting to just try and control who knows that. Did you hear how many people on the bridge crew just said something a moment ago? That shit freaks me out. (laughs) (laughs) They are not well. You know, the DMA is uh, aimed at the West Coast of the United States. That's a lot of vacations that are going to have to get replanned. I had no idea how obsessed they were with Christopher McCandless. <laughs> so uh, so she's like, hey, like, obviously, your call, you're the president. But I personally think that we should tell everyone. I think we should, like, make a leadership decision about that. And I like that Burnham says she's angry. Yeah. That she's, of she's all not of the... just not just at the DMA and at the Ten C, but also at Book. She's got a lot to be angry about this season. For the longest time, Book was the only one permitted to embody that feeling. Yeah, yeah. 
So they go out onto the bridge where the ship has emerged into extra galactic space. Yeah. We are against a dark background now, people. Extra galactic planetary, planetary, extra galactic. And the Prez drops the knowledge. Another dimension, another dimension, another dimension, another dimension. A dimension named after a guy named Kyle. A dimension named after a guy named Kyle. <laughs> and the Prez drops uh, this knowledge bomb. She gets on the uh, on the uh, PA, tells the whole ship that the stakes have been raised I know. even more. Crew of the Discovery... You may not recognize this voice after the bosun's whistle. (laughs) You're used to hearing Burnham, but right now it's me. I know you think that this is about to be a speech, but it's in fact going to fade up music and you won't be able to hear most of it because we're just going to cut around to the awful news I'm delivering, washing over the faces of every single character that's ever had a speaking line on the show that hasn't been killed off yet. You heard me correctly. Earth... And the planet that used to be known as Vulcan are both going to get blown up. (laughs) I'm sure there are other planets in the A-Quad that are also in danger, but primarily I want to focus on those two. (laughs) Uh, The moon probably also in a lot of danger here. Would not hold out a lot of hope for the moon. Right. So. So what I'm doing is assembling a crack team of Earth's finest deep core drillers. (laughs) (laughs) Who will then be trained in the ways of being astronauts, and they will go to the DMA. When this montage ends, we wind up in the lounge on the Discovery, where Saru finally gets his date with President Trina. I am so deeply sorry for this news. Nice that they uh, sat him and her in front of that, that little fire pit area so that his hands are backlit and kind of in shadow. You can't really see them. Yeah, I did like that part. That was nice. It's kind of the like the planes going down. We might as well hook up. It's also really nice when you're enjoying a drink or a small plate at this restaurant that you can just charge it to the room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it keeps it kind of cashless and, and fast. I occasionally get in trouble in situations like that. I, I know. You know. When I'm checking out of Discovery, I find out, that, oh, my God, I spent what at the bar? Holy shit. What's cool is like, like Saru lives there, but Trina's got a per diem. So, right. like, I thought it was very generous of Trina to put it on on yeah, her tab. That was cool. Yeah. Solid move. <laughs> the last uh, little scene is between Burnham and Rillick talking about, like, the heaviness of the crown, basically. like. The- Do you think Saru really likes margaritas for the salted rim? <laughs> and he likes just, a, like, a shitload of salt. <laughs> the way he takes his tea. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Oh, uh, probably a salty dog is what he likes. Oh, yeah. He's into vodka drinks. Salty dog dick <laughs> is is a cocktail that we could come up with <laughs> related to, <laughs> to Star Trek Discovery. That's one that'll ne- never make the official Star Trek cocktail companion book. It's, uh, it's vodka, grapefruit juice, salt rim, and a hot dog for garnish. Hell yeah. <laughs> I want to see the salty... You know what? I was going to complete that statement by saying, I want to see the salty dog dick pictures on Twitter. I do not want to see that. And I'm now entering a rule on Twitter that will block that phrase. Okay. Fair enough. 
<laughs> nice try, you sickos. <laughs> All right, it's too salty. Sorry. The button on the episode is a scene between Burnham and Rillick kind of talking about uh, the heaviness of leadership in this moment, how scary this is for everyone, including them, but how everybody is kind of relying on them to at least make the case that there is a plan and that smart people are thinking about how to handle this problem. Burnham just sort of turns toward camera and is like, it is very reassuring to have a president who is not crazy and scary, yeah. uh, who is just sort of more rational and steady, even though they might not be perfect, uh, to not just feel constantly in danger every second of every day. Not to wake up and, and doom scroll the newspaper right. is really reassuring at a time like this. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of like uh, Costner looking into the camera after JFK. Like, very, <laughs> pretty heavy moment here at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, strange to have an episode end by going back into the left. Right. But that's what it does. The last shot is the ship uh, continuing on its course. They're heading to a planet near the space that the Tensi occupy. See if it'll give them any clues for how to make first contact and just kind of keeping their fingers crossed that it's going to go okay. I mean, it now feels like there's two hands with fingers crossed here because the way they describe this planet is like, well, no one lives there, but there may be clues about how to talk to right. these people. Uh, but probably not because the universe is big and this is one planet. <laughs> so we'll see how many hours are left. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we got three more episodes in this season. Oh, one thing we glossed over that was sort of significant was when the Admiral blows in that, that message about Oh, this, yeah, it is gets it the, cut off. The message gets cut off, which suggests that they are not in communication with with the Admiral anymore. So whatever decisions get made out here are going to be uh, up to Rillick and Michael Burnham. It's a real Crimson Tide situation. Yeah. Message was cut off. We don't know. Yeah. Our birds could cross in the air. I mean, they could be they could be crazy Ivan on the Discovery. Make like a hole in the water. What does it mean? That'd be so fucked up. What does any of it mean? Did you like this episode, Adam? It really felt like a backstory episode, like all the way around. It felt like, I, I'm positive this isn't the case, but it felt like the, the episode in a season equivalent of an episode needing to fill, like, an episode coming short and needing to fill four minutes uh -huh. because I don't know that any of this information is crucial. The ship is transiting to where it needs to do the important thing. And while in transit, we're learning about Book and Tarka and we're melting the ice between Rillick and Burnham and Trina and Saru. Like it's just, it feels like a very incremental move forward. Definitely. Uh, as far as the season goes. It's and I'm all for all four episodes like this, but I almost feel like this wasn't what was promised at the end of the last episode. Like, right. you keep hanging us off of cliffs. I'm eventually going to expect to fall. Right. Like, I, I don't want to be treated like a cliff kid forever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, eventually I want to pull myself up or, or just let go. Yeah. So, I mean, interesting things revealed here. I guess it really depends on how much you care about Tarka. Right. But even if you did care a lot about Tarka, the final reveal for him, is that satisfying? Like, what would have made a difference to you in Tarka's backstory to really be like, oh, shit, 
I suddenly understand because I'm not sure if I'm there with him. Yeah, the question- He had a prison pal. The question in my mind is like how reliable a narrator is Tarka on that stuff also. He can't be. Yeah. I mean, he seems like a lunatic, but- right. I appreciated getting some some more backstory on him this episode, but yeah, I think that um, I think you're right. This episode felt very incremental. I think you know it had two big, heavy duty speeches in it that I felt like I pantomimed the buckling my seatbelt when I mm-hmm. watched them on the couch. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, aside from that, like I I didn't have any like major problems with this episode. It didn't seem like it was riddled with plot holes or anything, and some of the stuff was interesting. But yeah, I think it, it, it feels like taffy stretching for sure. Personally, it made me understand more than ever the difference between backstory and understanding motivation. Yeah. Because I think this is an episode that demonstrates that there is a difference in those two, and it may have confused them. Because by getting more backstory, I'm not sure I I get Tarka any more right. than I did previously. Yeah, it's... It's more specificity on what he's already told us rather than something that would change the way we understand what is motivating him. Yeah. And yeah, I kind of wish it had changed the way we understood it because if it had seemed like Oros had, you know, if Oros had gotten away and or Tarka had been like, oh, shit, there's not enough power. You go first. I'll catch up or something like that. I feel like that would have been more satisfying. Yeah. The fact that he's deluding himself maybe into the idea that he's still out there is for a man of science. Maybe that's supposed to make him a more shattered figure and and engender more empathy from us. Yeah. But instead, it just confuses me about him in all ways. He is kind of a shoot from the hip scientist, though. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean... Curious to see where where we go from here, for sure. Yeah. But um, right now, I'm curious about what is in the priority one message inbox, Ben. You want to see what we got in there? I'm curious about that, too. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. They're all flashbacks, Ben. (laughs) Oops, all flashbacks. Adam, our first priority one message here is from Kate, and it's to Patrick, and it goes like this. I was happy to spend COVID times driving across country to hang out with a nerd I met on the internet through a dumb Star Trek podcast, but happier now that you're moving to Wisconsin this week. You have made the past year plus better than it has any right to have been. Remember, you can't punch a black hole. I love you. Q. Ellie. What? (laughs) Roll air and drop. Patrick has chosen to move to Wisconsin. Yeah. This is what I'm understanding? I mean, partly, I'm guessing, for, for Kate and partly for Spotted Cow. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, Patrick may have their reasons, but <laughs> I know what mine would be. <laughs> Maybe if you're Kate, you sort of suppress the idea that, that you're the main reason for this move. <laughs> there are other great reasons. I mean, Wisconsin, beautiful place, beautiful part of the country. Yeah. I'm sure that that spotted cow is really worth it, though. I'll find out one day. (laughs) I'm sure that Kate and Kate's company is a big reason for this. Yeah. But, uh, wow. I mean, the idea of of our podcast being 
a foundation for any, for a relationship of any kind, really, continues to baffle me. Really remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have fun in Wisconsin, Patrick and Kate. Hope to see you at the Wisconsin live show. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Come introduce yourselves. Yeah. Maybe stay away from the uh, the cocktail on tap they have at this venue. <laughs> or maybe just have one. Yeah, just one would be good. Don't waterfall like I do. <laughs> I do not remember the end of that show. Yeah. I don't even remember riding that tandem bicycle, but we did it. Yeah. Good things happen at the Wisconsin show. Ben, our second priority one message is from Peter. It's to Aaron. The message goes like this. Happy birthday. Like last year, COVID still sucks. True. We're still in love, and we are still as awesome as Laris and Jaban. Shall I compare thee to a Star Trek captain? <laughs> you are intelligent like Picard, decisive and awesome like Janeway, stubborn like Cisco, strong under pressure like Burnham, and you love passionately like Riker. All right. I love you so much. Dang. Uh, wow. A couple of very affectionate messages here. Yeah. Uh, honor around the Valentine's Day date that were requested. Yeah, some people choose to get a room, but uh, some people choose to get a P1, and if that's your choice, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? <laughs> How many times have we made Tarka the Larkin? Because I think in terms of value, like he's only been in so many episodes and yet I feel like he has to have been the Larkin quite a bit. Right, right. I mean, I'm going to make him my Larkin in this episode. Like the confidence to believe your backstory is enough in this circumstance. He's making Book a believer yeah. That he's not being led into an emerald chain death camp. Yeah. While there's still like ship traffic around. I like cloaked sure ships. We were and gonna stuff. get a firefight with some space pirates in this episode based on that alone. Also, a cloaked ship has just taken off from the camp. What do you think laying down in the weeds is doing <laughs> for cover, guys? <laughs> that is not a cloaking field. The weeds are just weeds. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, maybe that's for the moment, like taking cover in the weeds. Yeah. Not a great idea, Tarka. If that hadn't earned him Edward Larkin status for me, the blind shooting off your neck bomb <laughs> did for me. <laughs> I got to feel like someone was in the writer's room going like, we have a chance to take him off the board right here. Yeah. You got to be careful shooting your neck bomb off. It is hard. Neck bomb, neck bomb. You're my neck bomb. And I can really shoot you off. It is uh, extremely difficult to uh, to pop a back zit. <laughs> Imagine if you had to shoot it with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. That's a lot of confidence. Well, uh, we don't have any title or a description yet for next week's episode as of this recording, but maybe you'll hear it in the credits. We have the next best thing. Yeah. We've got Wendy. <laughs> Take it away. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, produced and edited by Wendy Pretty.
This week on Friday, we're going to be releasing a special episode of The Greatest Discovery, reviewing Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 1. It's called The Stargazer. That episode will drop the day after the premiere, and we have a very talented guest editor, Rob Adler, working on that review, so look for it in your feed on Friday. The next week on Tuesday, we'll be back to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 11. We want to say thanks to Adam Ragusea for the original music you hear on this show. Also, Bill Tilly, who manages the at Greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. We'd love it if you would recommend this show to a friend or leave a five-star review online. You can also support the production of The Greatest Discovery and The Greatest Generation by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Thanks for listening. We'll be back later this week with more of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.